Welcome to Forward Filmmaker, a podcast from FilmHub. I'm Max Sanders. You may know me from my podcast, Buzz in the Tower, where I discuss my favorite 80s films. But this one is different. The film industry is changing, and filmmakers must adapt. On Forward Filmmaker, we'll be talking with directors and producers about the pains and opportunities facing the modern filmmaker. Joining me today is Courtney Daniels, the wildly talented writer-director behind the film What Other Couples Do, Bedroom Story, and the web series This Fucking Town. Courtney takes a unique and deeply personal look at love, relationships, and the hijinks and perils of being in the film industry. This podcast is brought to you by FilmHub the number one film distribution platform. Join thousands of filmmakers who are keeping their rights and getting paid on time. Submit your film today at filmhub.com and have it streamed on Amazon Prime Video, IMDb TV, Tubi, the Roku Channel, Plex, and dozens more. Courtney, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Max. Your movies really depict what it feels like to be in L.A., to be in the Hollywood scene, and also really the inner dynamics between men and women. I mean, for the people that don't know your work, how would you describe your style of storytelling? Well, I'm, I'm very into men and women's relationships and dynamics. So I have a lot of I have I make dialogue heavy kind of smaller type movies that are about how people interact, how men and women interact. Secondary to that, I'm very interested in the struggle of trying to make it in Los Angeles. And so, and just being a creative person in general. And so that's always kind of a backdrop or often a backdrop, or I guess in everything I've done, it's, you know, it's a topic that's happening, that's being discussed. I mean, it's clear that you really take from your own life and you're passionate about movie making. Where did that film journey start? So my husband, Jimmy, and I, were li- we were in Houston in our 20s, and we were both working in advertising, and we didn't want to stay in advertising. I don't even know if we ever, I mean, we never were passionate about that, really, but we knew we wanted to head to LA and try to write screenplays. But it takes a while to do that, I think, when you don't know anyone. I mean, we didn't grow up knowing screenwriters. We didn't, I mean, it, it takes a while just to figure out that somebody wrote the movies that you're seeing, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like our neighbor was a filmmaker or anything like that. We saw Helen Childress, who wrote Reality Bites, that movie. She, we saw her speak at a Houston film festival, and we got super jazzed, and she was telling people how to write screenplays and what books to get. And so we got to a point where we couldn't stay in Houston any longer, and we had to move here. Inspired by Reality Bites might be my favorite sound clip of how someone got inspired in my entire life. <laughs> oh, that's, right. that's awesome. Well, you know, and Helen Childress is from Houston and I, I so related to her. There were so many things about her that I related to. So it just, she just felt like someone, it seemed more doable. Like, okay, if she did it, maybe I can do it, you know? Yeah. So traversing the movie scene, not knowing anybody kind of coming in blind, what kind of life hacks did you try to implement to really get your movies out there? So I, for years, wrote screenplay after screenplay. I just was constantly writing and rewriting scripts. And I was trying to give them to people that I worked with or or someone who knew somebody in development or, you know, who worked at a studio or whatever. And 
nothing was happening. I mean, every once in a while, you'd get lucky and somebody would actually read your script and would give you thoughtful criticism of it. But a lot of times it hurt, you know, you're just, you just kind of get it, it gets, you know, they tear it up and they tell you it sucks, whatever, in so many words. And so it's just hard, you know, it's a hard process to become a good writer. Your first script is rarely any good, you know, but, but you learn and you, if you, the, the weird thing about being in LA, this, this town really, it makes you more and more angry <laughs> and you have this growing shit list of people that you want to prove yourself to. And so, I, well, I, I should just speak for myself that it happened to me that way. And so you just become more and more determined to become good at it, you know, become good at writing. And meanwhile, you're watching movies still because you're obsessed with movies and you just want to become good. You want to make something really good, you know? And so that's what helps you stay in it. Because otherwise you look back and you're like, why did I spend eight to 10 years just writing script after script, getting nowhere. Do you look back on those scripts and do you see it all as a learning process? Or are you like, my God, how did I stay in it when I was starting out? I'm grateful now that I made it through all those years. There was a lot of tears, you know. I Often, you know, you just break down. And you're like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Is Am I ever going to get anywhere? And so it's hard, you know. Some people, it happens. Things happen for them quickly. And I'm that's wonderful. That just wasn't my experience, you know? Well, I feel like it's given you tougher skin. I mean, you've learned so many different things. I'm blown away that with uh, what other couples do, you used a few locations, you know, just a large house for the most part. And then yeah. in Bedroom Story, you did one location, your own bedroom the entire time. It seems like the ultimate get from A to B as quick as possible way to circumvent the Hollywood system. How'd that yeah. come about? I always wanted to direct, but I finally got so fed up with knocking on Hollywood's door and not being let in that I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go exactly, I'm going to go straight to what I want, which is to make my own movies anyway. And that was, that took forever <laughs> to realize that because forever I was trying to sell a screenplay for hundred, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, like, which is like trying to, it's like planning on winning the lottery. It's not a good idea. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the odds are really against you. But you see, it happens to people every week and you read about it in the trades. So, you know, it it could happen. It's just, you know, whatever. So anyways, I finally kind of let go of that dream and embrace this other dream, which was just to make movies myself um, with the help of my husband, Jimmy, and some friends. And in order to, in order to do that, you pretty quickly realize that you need to make it real simple. You know, like, so... If you have one location, fantastic. If you have just a handful of locations, great. And that's why you see there's a lot of movies. I'm not, obviously, I'm not the first person to shoot a movie in one location. It's been done over the years, a billion times by people. And it's because it's it's just more doable. You know, you get one location for free, hopefully, and you just shoot the whole thing there. And so, of course, um, you have to write a script that allows for that. And so I had never done that. And so I had all these screenplays. That I, it was so funny because I had a ton of screenplays, but nothing that lent itself to a low budget shoot. And so finally, I just sat down and wrote a, a script that could be shot low budget in mostly one location. And that was what other couples do. Do you feel like that's the technique you're going to do from now on? You're going to kind of create your script based on how you're going to shoot it? That's what I'm doing so far. I mean, I with Bedroom Story, it was the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to go even smaller. Yeah. I'm going to have just one location and we're going to stay in that one room the entire time. Like with what other couples do, we're all over the house. You know, we're in every different room and we're outside by the pool. And so there's, you know, you break up the monotony by switching locations within this 
big property. With this movie, I was like, I'm going to try to write a story that's compelling, that will hold the viewer's interest. I find that a a fun challenge. And we're just going to shoot it at our house this time and shoot it in our bedroom. Were there unexpected issues with that? The thing about shooting at someone else's house, if someone else allows you to shoot for free at their house or office or whatever, a lot of times they end up regretting it because it's a mess. You yeah. Know, like they're busy doing their jobs and they're not noticing whether they're scuffing the floors or denting the, you know, nicking the walls. So some things get broken in the process. <laughs> and so you spend a lot of time apologizing during the shoot and after, and it's hard. But so we wanted to just have it be on us. Like it, it's our problem if we scuff up our house and mess up the wall, the paint and whatever, you know? And so we just wanted to do it in our house this time. So the the good thing is it's, you're not having to apologize constantly and make it up to people. And, you know, the bad news is that it's like you're throwing a party at your house. That's not ending, you know, it's going <laughs> right. on for like two weeks, you know? And so, um, it's exhausting and your house is a, a mess. You know, you've got gear everywhere, just people's stuff everywhere. Um, you're, you know, so it's just kind of weird. It's, it's fine. You know, I, it's not super luxurious. It's not like, it's not like you can go home at night and forget all about the shoot. You're just, I mean, you can't anyway on a shoestring budget movie production. You never, you just basically live, sleep, eat it for two weeks. You know, I've read that the Cohen brothers, you know, they just go home at the end of the day, go out to eat with their spouses or whatever. And it just sounds so heavenly. Like they can just leave it all on set. They have department heads taking care of everything. But so I look forward to that. So will we ever see the big budget, uh, you know, huge set Courtney Daniels picture? I guess it's, uh, it's a gods, you know, are willing. It's like, um, if I were to be hired, uh, you know, then yeah, I guess so. As long as we're financing it ourselves, no. It'll be very small budget because in the indie film landscape, it really doesn't pay, I don't think, to spend a ton of money. You have no idea if you're going to get the money back. And it, even if you have stars, I'm sure it's, you know, well, it'd be interesting to hear what projections are for a movie, you know, for a small indie film that has stars in it. I would be interested to know what they typically gross, you know, but for, you know, if you have a cast that's without a star or whatever, you just, you don't know how much money you're going to make, you know? I say you just go smaller every time. Do a prison cell next time. Do a dollhouse. Keep getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> I don't think I haven't. Believe me, I'm sitting here going, could I shoot it in the bathroom? Could I could I shoot a movie in a closet? You know, like I, I kind of do want to. It'd be fun. I'd love to see a bathroom movie. I mean, you have to set up some conflict, right? And then bam, like just let it, something that's playing out, some drama, right? In the bathroom or whatever, but. Yeah, the single sink for the couple when you don't have a his and her sink. I think that's the start of the conflict and then it slowly builds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So that's would you recommend this technique for new directors starting out? Oh my gosh, yes. Absolutely. In fact, my second favorite thing to do besides making stuff is to bug other people to make stuff. <laughs> and I like to kind of bully people into making stuff. So I highly encourage any aspiring filmmaker or, you know, experienced filmmaker to do it this way, like do it cheaply with very few locations and don't wait. Like I, I'm just so, I know so many people wait years to make their first film because they keep thinking they have to raise a million dollars or they have to find financiers. And that's just not true. If you really want to, if you are desperate, you can make a movie starting tomorrow with your phone if you have to. 
Right. And I know this. I know this because I, I went over to one of my actor's apartments, a uh, friend, and we just shot little videos of him screwing around, like just talking to the camera in, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in his bedroom and stuff. Because I just wanted to see, this was before I bought a camera. I was like, I was trying to see, could I do this? Do I think I could operate a camera? You know, so I just wanted to try with my phone shooting some decent looking footage of him. And it was fine and it was fun and it was easy. And it was like, you know what? All you, what you need is a good story. That's what you need. You don't need, everyone says they have a money problem. It's not true. They have a script problem. Like what you need is a good script. So what other couples do, when did you have that script ready? When did you know you were going to make a movie? I think it must have been, I think we shot it in 2011, pretty sure. And um, so I probably was writing it like in 2009 or 2010. Wow, that's a long process. Yeah, I mean, you know, because here's, this is what makes it long is you're scared. And so you're putting it off. Yeah. And so you're you're procrastinating. So meanwhile, you keep kind of embellishing the script. Like you go back to the script, work on it again, then put it through another rewrite. Then you're, meanwhile, you're showing it to everybody and they're giving you their thoughts like, oh, I was confused about this couple or I think you ought to give them more conflict. You know, people are telling you different stuff. You know, that's something also I urge people to do is to take criticism. Don't, don't give your script to some, someone who you know is passive aggressive or hostile or threatened by you who's just gonna, yeah. it's like it's like <laughs> handing them a bat and asking you to you know asking them to hit you with it but give it to people you trust who are kind who care about you who want to see you make something great who whose taste you trust and take those you know take that criticism you don't have to do anything with it but listen to it and see if you can't make your script better it took me a long time not to like dig my nails into my hand as i listened to you know criticism but um some of the best things come out of that. Like one of my friends, right before we shot What Other Couples Do, I have a TV writer friend who told me that she thought the one couple who doesn't play the closet game, she was like, well, they should play because there's not enough conflict for them. And I disagreed. I thought there would. I thought in any group of friends, there'd be one couple who's like, no, we're not going to do this. Okay. So I was, stick, I was sticking to my guns about that. But I took the bigger note, which was that there wasn't enough conflict for them. You know, and so I wrote the whole Matt Damon thing. Yes. Where, okay, that that scene completely came last minute because I needed to show the stress on them of not playing the game. Her having an imaginary crush on Matt Damon and them arguing insanely about it was probably the most stressed I felt during the entire movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm glad. Okay, good. Because they seemed like the perfect couple. They seemed like they were just, you know, they were above it all. And then you see the cracks in the wall. And I, th yeah. I find that so fascinating. All your movies, it feels like you take from your life and kind of these real relationships and real personal interactions. How do you put that out there and then just show everyone like this is my life without feeling insecure about, you know, ex <laughs> exposing all the, you know, the idiosyncrasies of you? Yeah. You can kind of feel like throwing up if you focus on it. I mean, if you, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you really think about it, it is stressful. Yeah. Um, it is stressful revealing yourself. I don't know another way to work, though, because, uh, you know, the first 10 scripts I wrote when I was trying to sell a spec script were not so personal, actually. I didn't start writing personal stories till I started writing stuff I was going to shoot. Interesting. I, I had no idea. It just seems like your bag is, you know, all these real, real relationships. Did you write fantasy stuff or like fiction stuff too? No, I wrote like romantic comedies and like adult dramas. And I tried my hand at a few different things, but it was mostly in the romantic comedy genre. 
yeah, I just now realized that. I mean, I, I definitely, the first several scripts I wrote that they were not nearly as personal at all because they were like more high concept, you know, big premise because I was trying to write a studio film. I know your husband's in the industry. Do you bounce stuff off him? Does he have a role in kind of how you create? Yeah, we, the fun thing is, I always um, recommend to people to marry a writer because I think it's great. But um, we're constantly discussing the scripts we're working on and what problems we have that we're trying to solve. And it's great to be able to talk to someone about it. With the movies that you've made, was he like on set all the time? Was he helping you out? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's on set. He co-produces everything I do. And so he's working as hard as I am, you know, and it's just kind of an all hands on deck type thing, you know, but yeah. And he all during post-production, you know, I'm dealing with different problems and questions and stuff. And he's, he and I are figuring things out together about how to deal with, you know, music rights and color correction and editing and, you know, just all the different things that come up. Should we cut this scene? Should we keep it? Should we shorten it? You know, all those questions we're, we're just constantly discussing and figuring out together. Yeah, it's nice to have a sounding board. You said you're talking about color composition, you're talking about music, you're talking about editing. When you started out, you didn't know any of those things. I mean, you learned on the fly how to edit, how to light, what light switch went off to kind of get you in gear with kind of taking control of the movie in its entirety. I have not, I haven't finished a film yet that I shot, you know, like I had a DP on what other couples do and I had a DP on Bedroom Story. This fucking town, the pilot, um, I shot with my DP, Dean Gunderson. Um, and then I made episodes two, three, and four on my own. And it was a financial decision. Just, you know, if you can't keep paying people, then you're trespassing on people's goodwill and stuff to ask them to keep working for free or cheap or whatever. And so if I wanted to get it made with no budget, I kind of had to do it myself. And so that was the motivation for getting a camera, learning how to operate it, getting lights. I'm by no means great at lighting, but I have learned how to do the minimum to make the actors visible on on camera and editing. I had to do all those things so that I could afford to keep going, to keep making episodes of this series. So did you YouTube tutorial it? Did you for dummies book or how'd you do it? Let's see. Let me think about this. So... Yes. I mean, there definitely I watched things on YouTube about camera stuff like ISO, aperture, um, shutter speed, lighting. There's all kinds of great videos of all kinds of wonderful people who are kind enough to want to teach other people how to do stuff. So I just kept watching their, you know, different people's videos. But mostly what it was is trial and error. I always bug everyone to do that. It's so empowering to know how to do things yourself. Right. I mean, I literally, I made a list. I was like, it'd be incredible if I could learn how to use the camera. It'd be incredible if I could learn how to light people. If I- so do you think that expertise when it comes to one room shooting manifested itself in a larger way? You just had, you had a good, you understood that room and that lighting and that editing. So it came out, I mean, it looks, it looks like a multi-million dollar movie, Bedroom Story. Oh, I'm so glad you think so. Well, that's largely, I mean, that's thanks to my DP, Bianca Booty. She did a great job. It's, a, you know, she did a beautiful job. She made the actors look so great, you yeah. know, and, and she made the room look beautiful. And I don't know how to light at that level, you know? I mean, that's a that's its own craft, right? She's gotten way over 10,000 hours doing that. So did Dean Gunderson, my the DP from What Other Couples Do. He makes 
I mean, to me, he shoots beautiful scenes and does great, cool angles and stuff. Well, I feel like you've circumvented some of the stress, though, by using the same actors in uh, all three films. You do the casting. So was that an intentional move or did that happen by chance? We just became friends over the years and kept shooting stuff together and they were game to keep being and stuff. And we have fun together, all of us. And so it's just kind of a, it's just fun to work with friends, you know, and they're, and they're really talented. So, I mean, just because there's so many actors here doesn't mean there are so many really talented ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when, when you find really talented people who elevate your work, you want to keep working with them. Oh, Michael Mark Friedman, who is the star of Bedroom Story. Yeah. He he reminds me of like late 90s Mel Gibson, Sylvester Stallone in like a rough and tumble movie. But he's got a sensitive side. Yeah. It's, it's yes. I was blown away by his performance and everything you did. Oh, good. I'm so glad. No, he's amazing. He's fantastic. And it's a real testament to that acting group, too. You know, in What Other Couples Do versus Bedroom Story and This Fucking Town everyone kind of pairs off in different ways. Did you do that intentionally to see if chemistry was different between the actors? Sometimes it was like who was available. And so shoving people together because that's <laughs> who was available. Got it. So make your script bulletproof and then anyone can go in it really. Yeah. Like if you, you know, the tighter the script is, the more likely it is that whoever is saying the lines will come off well, you know? So let's talk about the difficulties. A genie can grant you one wish to improve your filmmaking life. What are you wishing for? <laughs> it's so boring, but bigger budgets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I want more money. It's I, I, like, like I said, I don't think it's smart to sp spend millions on indie films, but it would be so nice to have, you know, not a painfully small budget. And boy, I would love to have tons of money for music. That would be just a dream. What would be your song? You, what, what would be your song you'd pay, you know, an ungodly amount for to have it in your movie? Oh, man. What am I like? I'm so into Blondie again lately. Like Ooh. I would love to have like Atomic, that song. I would love to have Destination Unknown by Missing Persons. They're just stuff like that. A go-go song, you know? Oh, yeah. Give me the Fast Time and Ridgemont High start uh, intro song. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that would be incredible. That'd be fun. So speaking of the past, let's say you get a time machine. You can go back in time and give yourself one piece of movie making advice. Where are you going and what are you saying? I know what I would do. I would go I would go back to 1997, which is the year we moved here, and it's when I started writing spec scripts, hoping to sell one to one of the studios. I would tell myself, "Let it go. <laughs> Drop that idea and just write screenplays for yourself that you can shoot." I would do that immediately. So is that I would just blow off completely trying to make it in Hollywood, like fuck Hollywood. I'm so over it. I would just not even try to participate in the studio system because it's not built for the individual. It's not it's not it's not great for individual people, in, in my opinion. Yeah. A lot of the conflict in your movies is kind of the stressors of dealing with Hollywood and being in that machine. Yeah. And it feels real. Yeah it, makes you, yeah. it makes you very unhappy, I think. A lot for a lot of people. Obviously, there are people who succeed wildly. I'm thrilled for them. I have no sour grapes. I'm just saying, though, for for many people, it's not a route to happiness. So for now generation of directors, is that the same advice you'd give? Just circumvent Hollywood? A hundred percent. Don't even come here. Don't try to <laughs> do anything with Hollywood. No, seriously. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I love it. It's just it's so authoritative. It's great. Yeah. I'm, I mean it with 
every ounce of my being. In fact, I sat next to Callie Corey, the screenwriter, at lunch once at a restaurant and I eavesdropped on her. I, cause I, I said to myself, God put me here for a reason. I'm supposed to listen to whatever she says to her lunch date. It was this younger guy. And I listened to them talk. And then I heard her say something to the effect basically of if she could do it all over again, she would not have taken all these writing assignments that didn't end up, I guess, getting made into films or something. It was something to that effect. I'm pretty sure. I didn't catch every word, but it was like, and she said, what did it get me? It got me money, but nothing else. Like basically, I guess, you know, because there's a lot of scripts that get developed. These things drag on for years and then the studio chickens out or whatever, and they don't make the movie. It's happened to everyone like David Mamet on down, right? I was like, that's what I was supposed to hear. It was like, God, I felt like it was God's way of telling me, honey, it's okay that you're just making movie yourself. You, you're happier for that. What I think is amazing is if you put a movie on Amazon and if, you know, if it has a poster, a log line and a, and a title that make people curious to where they want to click on it, you know, you can end up getting seen by millions of people. It's a wonderful, brave new world we're in. It's content yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, it is. Of course, there's no guarantee that, you know, you don't know if what you made is going to get seen. So you want to make the best you know, do the best you can and try to make a compelling uh, sounding storyline, you know, like that one sentence, um, did, nutshell description of your movie. You want it to be compelling, you know. Did you have expectations for when they got released? Yeah, you always do, right? You, I mean, you try not to because it's certainly not a recipe for happiness, but you can't help but start getting, you know, go, well, gosh, what if people, you know, uh, you, you know, I try to train it out of myself, but it's really hard. So, being a director, you could be in one film set in movie history. You can be, you know, a DP, an assistant director, it doesn't matter, whatever you want on the role besides the big chair. Where are you going? Maybe Valley Girl. Oh, all right. Martha Coolidge is going to tell you what to do. I love that Martha Coolidge directed it. I love that. It, I think it was like a three-week shoot. Yep. And it was a low budget. And so I just think it'd be interesting to see how they handled it. It would just inspire yeah. you for the future. He's like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because to go to a big movie like Citizen Kane or something like that, I mean, that would be fascinating, but less applicable to my life. Like, I really, I like making small films in a small way. So I would want to see another small budget movie, how, how it's done, how people do it. I mean, your whole life philosophy is be confident with what you, you know, with how you feel, the vulnerability in the movies to show people that it's okay to be sometimes scared or anxious, and there's power to that. And I feel like that shines through in all of your movies. Oh, good. I'm glad you think so. Do you feel that? Do you tap into that? You kind of the here I am, this is me kind of vibe in all your movies? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing <laughs> to reveal yourself. It's um, it's stress causing. You you feel exposed, vulnerable, embarrassed. Of course, I take creative license with my life. It's not all. I definitely push things to the nth degree to make it a better story. You're still putting yourself out there, making just making something. You know, you're opening yourself up for criticism and judgment. People are judging you. And you cannot stop haters, like just strangers from around the world, just hating on your film on Amazon. In the If you go look at the reviews, you'll want to slit your wrists. So you just have to, I just accept it, that people are going to trash my movies it's just better if you accept it and get on with your life. 
pushing forward. So speaking of Yeah, don't let it bother you, you know. So with that moving forward kind of vibe, what's in your plate right now? Like what's next for Courtney Daniels? I want to finish this fucking town, so I'm going to shoot another uh, like a final installment of it and I'm going to shove them all to all the episodes together to make a movie because it all works together as a whole piece. Um, and I'm going to release that on Film Hub and uh, with Film Hub. I'm, I have two scripts that I'm working on right now that, um, you know, that I think are fun, that I'm excited about, but I'm only like 20-something pages in, so I got to hustle and finish those. So, Courtney, if people want to follow you, where should they go? Uh, my website. So my website is called Sugar in 60 Seconds. It's all spelled out, known numbers. Um, Sugar in 60 Seconds. And if you subscribe, you'll be on my list to get alerted. Um, like, so when I finish this book about how to make a movie for almost nothing or how to make movies for almost nothing, um, you'll get alerted when that happens and you'll get alerted when I release a new project. Um, and then every once in a while, I'll write an email about some, you know, thing that I've learned that I want to pass on or whatever in case it's of value to someone else. So my whole message is, yes, you can do this. And so anyone who's sitting out there thinking, I can't make a movie, I don't know if I can do this. I feel like, yes, you absolutely can. I believe in you. And I think you ought to start immediately. I love that. That's that's the perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you, Max. It's been so fun getting to know you and talking to you. And um. Yeah, I've so enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Finding an audience can be the greatest challenge a filmmaker can face. Film Hub is the answer to the distribution problems of the film community. Film Hub has helped countless directors get their projects onto major streaming services. So if you are finding the distribution side of filmmaking a frustrating battle, let the number one film distribution platform do the heavy lifting for you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review Ford Filmmaker on whatever podcast platform you're using. The smallest gesture makes a world of difference, and we so appreciate it. On the next episode of Ford Filmmaker, we'll be talking with award-winning documentary filmmaker Torsten Hoffman, whose films Cryptopia and Bitcoin, The End of Money as We Know It, delve into the complex world of cryptocurrency.